Here comes fucking Parker, walking down nine miles, swinging a goddamn head by the hair in one hand, and his sandwich in the other. You're playing hard to get. Red off. Hello and welcome to another episode of That's So Random, a random movie podcast. I'm Heath Lambert, my guest. And, uh... Oh, boy. <laughs> Uh, and this is Sebastian Moreno once again with another horror film. That's my entirely my jam. There you and go. it's a good one this time. Introducing himself. And, sir, you got beat by one week, but welcome to the Three Timers Club. Piper yes. and Steenwick got it last week, but you're ding, in ding, now. Ding, ding, ding. Yes. So one day you'll be I'm in the, the fucking champ. I'm the fucking champ. <laughs> one day you'll be in the Ten Timers Club. Oh, here's hoping. Um, There's no shortage of, you know, whatever I like, whatever films I like are out there, you know, or something that's, you know, part of my qualifications. Yeah, there's no trophy or anything, just <laughs> pride. I don't know if that's the right word, but. Um, I'll take pride. I'll take pride. <laughs> our movie this episode from 1989, Intruder, a movie that, because I get nothing but movies chosen at random. Most of the time, it's not surprising whatsoever that movies pop up that I've never heard of. It's bananas that I've never heard of this movie before. Given its pedigree, given that I am, on top of being I'm very much a movie guy, I'm very much a horror movie guy. Like, I used to go and read, like, you know, read, like, the articles, like, here's ten horror movies that you've never, that you should have heard of, and, and I've never seen this movie come up anywhere. Which is very strange to me, because this... You would think at some point I would have read an article about like, oh, here's 10 slashers from the 80s that you forgot about or something. And no. Really? Yeah. Not not one word. Not one word. Because uh, Not that I can I, remember. Because I remember reading a bit about this one before. You know, just it's not super detailed, but I know certain details about it. But it does seem rather obscure compared to, um, say, the Evil Dead trilogy. Even uh, similar pedigree. Yeah, this is very much a written and directed by a guy named Scott Spiegel, who is very much a Sam Raimi guy. He co-wrote. Yeah, he co-wrote Evil Dead Two. Yeah, two years before this, he co-wrote Evil Dead Two. He played fake Shemp in Evil Dead Two. A lot of fake Shemps. A lot of shots in this movie are very Raimi type shots, so they yeah. clearly, you know, learned some stuff being on those sets. He also directed, later on, Dust to Dawn 2, from Dust Till Dawn 2, Hostel 3, no thank you. Which, that's just sad. He wrote The Rookie, the movie with Clint Eastwood and I think Charlie Sheen, like a cop movie. For real? Yeah. For real? For real. And he's got an interesting sounding movie that he just finished making that hasn't come out yet called, I think it's called Spring Break 83, and it appears to be a bunch of like 80s stars seeking revenge on like new young teenagers so it's like lee majors morgan fairchild <laughs> eric estrada uh, i think joe pantliano's in it um adrian zamed so that could be inter alan richardson is one of the young guys so it could be interesting it could I, be fun i look forward <clears> to <throat> that maybe uh maybe it'll be <sighs> back to his roots maybe and the co-writer of this film intruder 
which I hope everyone found okay because there are a lot of movies called The Intruder or Intruders or The Intruders. There's a lot of, it's a common, so hopefully you found I know, the right I one. know it was supposed to be called Night Crew, but I, I think it was the producers or distributors who wanted a more, I guess, wanted it to really sound like a slasher film, you know, so they just settled on Intruder as, you know, their best, their best bets. Well, at the time, there probably weren't a lot of movies called Intruder. There are now. Well, um, yeah. And, and but that was the uh, that was the rationale. It's co-written by Lawrence Bender, who is like Tarantino's right-hand man, kind of yep. partner, producing partner. And I think he, am I thinking the right guy? He wrote directed Killing Zoe, or am I thinking of somebody else? But he's a big Tarantino guy. Helped write, I think, Pulp Fiction and the early Tarantino stuff. So, like, yeah, what, he's a what a pedigree. Yeah, he's a Tarantino buddy. And I did not plan it this way, but this when this movie starts, Full Moon logo, and you've done a Full Moon movie, the other Full Moon movie. I've done. I don't think this was produced <laughs> by Full Moon. I have a feeling it was just distributed oh, what later happened, on. Oh, what happened was was this was distributed by Empire Pictures first. This, but it was also distributed on home video by Paramount. But this was when Empire Pictures was on its last legs. It was on its way out, but. I assume Charles Band managed to get the distribution rights after that company went under. So, you know, that's why you don't see, say, MGM getting their hands on it. Like most of their, like most of the Empire Pictures catalog. Or so, even because of the, like, because of the, the Raimi stuff, I could see even like Shout Factory or somebody like, oh, we got to get our hands on that as yeah. part of his, you know. Yeah. So another full moon, at least distributed movie. Certainly, yeah. It's, it's better, just has better that... than their other stuff. Yeah, it just happens to, uh, it's just one of those ones that just, you know, just later gets the uh, Full Moon logo slapped on it, you know, like these uh, acquired releases always always do, you know, MGM being uh, ironically the most guilty of that. Well, let's get right into it. We're at a grocery store at night. It's kind of about to be closing time. There's Which I got to say, I love the opening to this, the, the shot of the full moon and the music, it kind of. It really sets the right mood for this, like, and it, it instantly got me in a good mood, you know, seeing that first shot, you know, and hearing that music. You know, I'm a big fan of slasher movies, and you know, I mean, I'm a big fan of horror in general, but slasher movies are among my personal favorite subgenres of of it, you know. So I'm always so I'm always looking for the one good hook of an opening that could get me invested. Well, and I think another good hook is the, just the setting of a grocery store. Like, I've never seen that before. Kind of like, it seems like a natural fit, like Halloween 2 being in a hospital. Like, why, have, yeah. why, aren't, ha, why aren't more horror movies set in a hospital? Why, aren't, why haven't more horror movies been set in a grocery store? Like, it's such a it's fun a, it's setting. Location. And I'm also a sucker for, like, one-location horror movies. Like, you know, the uh, the the claustrophobic setting like there's no one to call for help especially if you're say working the night shift you know or if you're trapped you know due to some uh zombie pandemic hello ponty boom you know yeah. so you know i'm a sucker for stuff like that well and it's not yeah because it's i mean it's usually done for you know budgetary reasons and things like that like oh we have this one location to shoot in but knowing that yeah. going into but it, it you can write around that and make it work yeah, like it does movie. work. There's always, you know, potential with that idea. And we get our first really interesting shot, and there's a lot of 
very interesting <laughs> shots and uh, camera work yeah, in this I've been, movie. This, yeah, I've been digging the cinematography in this, like POV grocery carts. Yeah, that's the first one. Where yeah, our, our shot is the camera's inside a grocery cart looking out as the cart is being pushed down the aisle. It's an interesting shot. And that one's kind Although of... Although i got to say... That's kind, sorry, of the most, that's kind of the most basic one. Some of the ones we get later are kind of nuts, yeah. but really effective. Even yeah. if it's in an off-putting way, you're like, what am I even looking at for a second? You're like, oh, okay, we're inside a rotary phone looking out at someone on the phone. Like, it's such a crazy idea, but it, it works for me. Yeah, me too. Um, that was a... I, I'm guessing Spiegel just really wanted to get in on, you know, making interesting shots. Like, if, like if this was going to be his only film, then go nuts, you know, make a lot of interesting shots. Yeah, and I also think that between that and the setting and how good a lot of the kills are, again, it's so crazy that I have never seen this movie before, never really heard of this movie before, because I think this is a better slasher than 75% of the Friday the 13th. Maybe, maybe that's oh. blasphemous, I don't know. But those all feel really samey to me. They're not shot particularly well. The kills start to get the same, whereas this is someone's like, I'm going to make a really interesting looking piece of art, you know, which I don't know that Friday 13th ever attempted, you know, well, part six could have, and I don't, I don't hate Friday 13th, but of the sort of the big three, it's my I mean, least favorite, but just but this, this is more interesting, certainly visually. And I think conceptually in a lot of ways than most of that franchise is for me. Anyway, I do know this is actually uh something of a remake of a short film Scott Spiegel made with his uh, Super 8 camera. But it was apparent, uh, which I haven't been able to find, sadly, for comparison's sake. It's, I lost the time, I assume. I don't know. But basically, it was the same premise, and but featured a more Halloween-esque killer. You know, something along the lines of Michael Myers. At least that's, that's what I briefly read. Okay. Yeah, I saw on AMDB that he was he had worked with Sam Raimi on something called Early Sam Raimi Shorts, some sort of collection, but who knows where you could watch that at. There's the TV guides on the checkout lanes at the grocery store uh, have the big headline on them. Is TV getting better or worse? See, we still we still have this conversation. Yeah. However, what, 30, 30 Apparently nothing years later, changes. Yeah, we're still having people, oh, is TV better or worse than it was 10 years ago? Well, they were saying that in 1989, so it's nothing new. Just like, you know, oh, there's too many Marvel movies. Well, in 1954, there was 80 Westerns many came Westerns. out in one year. Like, so, you know, it's cyclical. Everybody calm down. It's uh, popular to just, you know, criticize whatever trends there are. Same deal with the slasher movies of the 80s, ironically. So the two girls who are at the checkout Lanes. Actually, before we go any further, I like to comment on the groceries here because I rarely, rarely see horror movies nowadays with product placements, like just first shots, cereals, frosted flakes, tricks, Cheerios, and even later on, you see like a Pepsi Diet Pepsi stand. You rarely see those. Yeah, you really see those nowadays. It's a lot of like. There's times when uh, there's at one point where somebody is. We're very sort of close up on someone, I think, stocking cereal or eating out of a box of cereal or something, and it's definitely a fake cereal. That sort of sort of close up or insert shot, but as far but like they're in a real grocery store, so yeah. it's stocked with real products. They weren't they didn't have the money to make up store full of fake products, so they just 
which um, I think it's in the days before they were had a super tight rein on product placement and things like that, where you could kind of just have Pepsi and stuff and show Doritos and show whatever, you know. And it's not just this film. Like last year for my horror movie marathon, I saw The Mutilator. There was Coca-Cola product placement at one point, and it blew my mind because horror films nowadays will never get away with that. Never, you know. Yeah, because products don't want their (laughs) stuff associated with... You you don't want Pennywise the Clown associated with Pepsi, I guess. No, they save that for Transformers movies and things like that. Yeah. The two girls who are working are sort of cross-talking over this old man about, like, oh, you like Dave? He's cute. I don't know. Is he still going out with so-and-so? Like, real, you know, teenage girl talk. And this old man is pretty funny because he's, like... (laughs) He's kind of listening to what they're saying and interjecting and his bag of groceries rips, which is kind of, there's a lot of really, this is a very tongue-in-cheek movie in a lot of ways, which, I mean, it's Sam Raimi's, or not, I mean, adjacent to Sam Raimi. So that's, you know, to be expected, I guess. Some of it goes a little, a little too much for me, (laughs) pulls me out of it, but stuff like this, especially where it's like table setting before we get going of just like, this funny yeah. old man and his grocery bag ripping and they have to come help him and he's <laughs> sort of getting invested in their gossipy conversation. It's uh, it's Jennifer and Linda. Linda's played by Renee Estevez, sister of oh. Charlie Sheen and Emilio Estevez. Jennifer's played by Elizabeth Cox, who's in Night of the Creeps and Love that one. The Wraith. <laughs> there is... Um, Jennifer has an abusive ex-boyfriend named Craig who shows up demanding to talk to her. And we find out that they broke, they went out first off, they only went out for two months and they broke up a year ago. So this guy is, this is some entitled man shit right here because like, yeah. a year yeah, ago and, and you're uh, still hung up on this man. It's kind of why I assumed for a month. I assumed, uh, first time I saw this back in 2019, I assumed that, uh, well, up until the big twist, that I assumed he was the killer. And for good reason. Yeah, they set it up to sort of lead you down that train of thought. But there's also so many times that we have killer POV where they are going way out of their way to not show you who the killer is. Yeah. That you kind he's of get, a red herring. You get the sense, yeah, that definitely that he's the red herring. So then who is the actual killer? Which I don't, yeah. for me, is not, we'll get to it, but is not a terribly satisfying answer to who the killer is it's it's his motivation is very odd but yeah craig he's grabbing her and demanding to talk to her he's forcing her to kiss him and he's you know winds up hitting her at one point like this guy is bad news bad it news. just takes a few people to just to you know restrain them. yeah because linda Maybe. rings linda has a little bell on the side of the uh like by her till that she pushes and it rings a bell up in the office where uh, Bill and Danny are the manager and the assistant manager, I guess, or the owner and the manager. One of the two. I think he's the owner. Danny's the owner, Bill's the manager. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. And they can hear this bell going off. So they can sort of look out the windows. And I worked in a grocery store for a number of years and I always liked those office, those windows up in the office or the break room that look down on the store floor. And that's what they're, sort of looking th- down through and they see what's going on. So they run downstairs to get this asshole out of their store and get him off their employee. And they seem to really care. 
It's not just like, oh, there's a guy making a disruption. Like, they, they genuinely care that, like, oh, we have to help her and protect her. There's a guy in the uh, produce, or there's a guy in the meat department named Randy. And you see and you go, oh, look, it's Ted Raimi. No, it's not. It's fucking Sam Raimi. Yeah, which it, it's weird looking. It's weird to see him so young, but he also kind of looks the same as he does. You know? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, Ted Raimi is also in this movie. He works in the produce department. So they're yeah. both in it. But when you, yeah, you're not used to seeing Sam Raimi in things. You're very used to seeing Ted Raimi in things. So yeah. it took me a second he to go, hold on. Like Sam, like Sam Raimi rarely acts. Well, but yeah, probably... you rarely see him act, you know. Yeah, not a lot. Like the only other acting credit I know that he was in uh, Innocent Blood. Yeah. So, but yeah, Randy from the meat department, played by Sam Raimi, comes out and is like, hey, what's going on? And sort of gets shoved by Craig and then all the guys, both Bill and Danny, and yeah, he gets shoved through this big Pepsi display. Jump on Craig and drag him off, and but he gets away from them and runs off into the store somewhere. Which case, um, Craig seems to have gone to the... Uh... School of Michael Myers, given how stealthy he apparently is. Yeah, I don't know how he hides from them as long as he does, but while Jenny's on hold with the cops, the men start searching the store. And it's a pretty long scene of them searching the store, but it's also, storytelling-wise, a way for them to introduce all the other characters, all the other people working in the store. Because we have, yeah, Randy in the meat department. What's the produce guy's name? Because that's Ted Raimi. You know, I got to say, Ted Raimi has kind of a funny entrance because he just goes down sliding. He just literally slides down into frame, you know, on the uh, railings on. Like the conveyor belt thing? Yeah, that that's yeah, that's what I was thinking of. Yeah, there's a conveyor belt he keeps. He likes to ride on and Bill's always yelling. <laughs> I'm like, told you not to ride on that. You're going to break it, which will come, fair, back, come back later in a big, big way. Which, to be fair, it does look fun. It does, but it's probably not cheap. True. Um, there's a guy named Tim who scares Linda. He pops his arm out through a shelf of food items and scares her. Which, read the room, man. Like, now's not the time for this. <laughs> like, aren't you supposed to be looking for a deranged ex-boyfriend right now? You got time for this shit? It's an attic that they go to check where uh, Danny or Bill says that, um, yeah, he's like, we gotta check the attic where you guys sneak off to smoke wacky tobacco. <laughs> You can tell he Bill is a very old-fashioned fellow. Very, <laughs> he is, he is. Very old school. Meanwhile, of course, while everyone else is off in the store looking for Craig, Craig has made his way back up to the front to assault Jenny again. The one place they weren't looking. The one place they should have left someone on guard, I guess. Yeah. And he wants his change from the thing he bought earlier, which, I mean, is just his Cigarettes, excuse. Cigarettes, I believe. Yeah, it's just his excuse to menace Horses her on her. Yikes. Yeah, forces a kiss on her, and she's screaming again. And here's where he hits her, I think, and she gets a, a decent nosebleed. Yeah. The guys come running up again. This time they catch him, they grab him, and throw him out and lock him out of the, you know, the glass, sliding glass doors at the front of the store. Which, I recognize that music when they threw him out, when they threw him outside. It's, not only does this movie actually use plenty of domain music you might have heard elsewhere, like, say... SpongeBob, but I also but this particular piece I once heard in a Universal Studios Florida VHS promo thing. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I recognize that music. It was a uh, it was during that Jaws sec Jaws ride segment, which which uh, I just went wait. 
I know that music. You know, it's one of those weird things, you know. Yeah, just you know. lodged in your head when you were a kid and it never went away. Yeah. It just never, it just, uh, just follows you until you just kind of forget, you know, like for me, I just kind of forget until I hear it again elsewhere. And then I just, just look in astonishment. Well, that's, yeah, the brain is a crazy thing. There's days because of cell phones and how you just put people's phone numbers in your phone and auto, everything auto dials. I couldn't tell you my fiance's phone number. I can't, I don't have room in my brain for any more phone numbers. Because my head is full of shit like, I'll hear a song that I haven't heard in 18 years, and I know every word still, you know? Because that's in my brain, but I can't remember new passwords for things. I have to always use the same password for stuff, because I can't remember all these passwords. Yeah, it's it's exactly the same deal with me. It's weird. Um, While when they're throwing them out, Danny says to Craig... You better hope, if you come back here, you better hope the cops get you before I do. Which is, I mean, first off, Craig would snap this old man in half. But also, but good for him. Like, they're very, very defensive of Jenny and very protective of her. Yeah. Um, Just as an employee. as like, like, she's clearly been, like, a model employee. They've all worked there for, like, it's a tight-knit crew of friends. You never get the sense that, like, oh, this is the one guy we don't like. Like, everybody gets along. Yeah, amazingly, there's no to- token asshole. You know, usually uh, slash events tend to have one. So after they've got him out, Bill and Danny are back up in the office, and there's a conversation about. Well, I guess here they sort of talked about it before when the bell was ringing thing. Um, here's where they reveal to the rest of the crew that like times are tough. I've had a good offer, and he's going. Bill's going to be, or Danny's going to be selling the store. They're going to turn yeah. it into something something else not a grocery store and so everybody's about to lose their jobs and it sucks and it's terrible but it's the way it is and we learn and this is very important that bill this is kind of against bill's wishes like he kind of got he's getting kind of forced to sign off on this because he's not the owner but he's like he has like 49 percent ownership and yeah danny has 51 on that yeah put a pin on that a big pin and so it's like so we're closing very soon we need everybody to stay overnight and mark down everything in the store. Like everything's fifty percent off because we got to get rid of all this inventory before we sell the building. And everybody, I just kind of, I just kind of assume that this shop, that this place would have, I don't know, turned into a Walmart or something, or an S-Mart since this is Sam Raimi. <laughs> yeah, or it could, I mean, or they could be looking to knock it down and put up condos, or who knows? Because we also don't know where this is location-wise. Or I guess maybe I could you could look at car license plates and see where it's at. I didn't think of that, but they don't really ever tell you out loud where yeah. we're at. So it's kind of anywhere USA. And none of the the crew of young people are kind of like, oh, you know, they're more upset that they're not up. No one complains that they have to stay overnight unexpectedly. I thought I was going home soon, but we're, well, I guess no. I mean, they're kind of the overnight crew anyway, <clears throat> most of them. So, but they just got handed a lot of extra work and they don't. That's, they don't really complain about it. They're more concerned with, like, oh, we're not going to have a job next week. Like, and I just got a raise, so there goes that. I think everyone can relate to that right now. But everyone seems to really actually like enjoy working there. No one's like, oh, good, I wanted to get out of here anyway. I got, you know, I got better things yeah. to do. Everybody's kind of like, well, this sucks. I like this place, you know? Kind of an Empire Records vibe. <laughs> Everybody wants to stay. Yeah. Craig keeps calling and, like, you know, doing the heavy breathing and, like, 
Oh, Jennifer, I gotta talk to you. Because there's a payphone outside. She answers a couple times and then stops and just lets it, you know, ring. And here's where we have a conversation between Jenny and Linda, um, where we find out that the reason they broke up, and he's been a year ago, is because he went to jail. They were at a bar or something, and he didn't like the way the bouncer was looking at her or something, and he beat this guy to death by accident. Like, he wasn't trying to kill him, but he, you know, a fist fight happened, and like uh, Nick Cage and Con Air, I guess his hands were deadly weapons, and he went away for just a year? That doesn't seem very long. I guess if it was involuntary manslaughter, yeah, maybe. I don't know. But And then it's during this conversation that we get this crazy sort of jump jump scare and music sting where it the camera swivels from jenny talking to this magazine with sting on the cover where he's making like a scary face but it's like, <laughs> but it's like bah, 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 and it jumps to this magazine which it's such like an music, odd like music sting get it <laughs> i didn't even think of that but it's a bomb and i'm I didn't realize it the first time I saw this, but the second time, oh, now I get it. He was <laughs> literally and love... figuratively a music sting. I kind of, I kind of love that. I kind of love that. It's just, I don't know. I, I guess I'm a sucker for that kind of pun. Just you know. And it's and it's very tongue in cheek, but it's just such an odd because it's meant to scare you. It's like a jump scare. Yeah. Because it's her, like, it's like she heard something, and she looks, and then we follow her point of view, and it jumps to this magazine cover, and you're like, what the hell am I even looking at? And it's such a, it's a strange decision, but it's also funny, and like, I don't know. And we follow that with some more cool and kind of innovative camera shots. We have the, yeah, we have, there's a shot when Renee's on the phone to her, like, fiancé, telling him, like, oh, I'm going to be late, the store's closed, you know, this is what's going on with the store, where the camera is looking up through, and obviously they just built something to put over the front of the camera yeah. but we're looking up and it takes you a second to even realize like what the hell am i even looking at because i've never you've never seen this sort of point of view but you're looking up through the inside of the rotary phone so you can see like the big circle in the middle and the little circles around it where the numbers are that you put your fingers to turn the dial and that's what we're looking through to watch her on the phone and it's such a it's a cool idea it's disorienting at first because you don't know what like, what am I looking at right now? It takes your brain a second to catch up. Um, and right after that, there's a shot where they must have just had, like, a camera under, like, a glass bit on the floor or something. Because she's sweeping stuff off the floor. And we're looking up through the floor. These are nifty shots I really dig, honestly. Yeah, they're cool. Yeah, because she's, like, sweeping. And so the, the broom and the stuff that she's sweeping is sliding, like, right across the camp, right across the shot in close up. So it's... Yeah, it's it's interesting stuff. It's it's cool looking. Jenny's got a headache from getting punched in the nose by Craig. She's trying to get this childproof aspirin bottle open. She can't get it open. So Dave, the dreamy guy at the store that they were talking about earlier, um, comes to help her with it. I don't know why she's having so much trouble with this. I guess some people can do those childproof bottles and some can't. And he asks her out. Which, I mean, that answers the question of... Because they were wondering if he was still going out with so-and-so, and apparently he's not. So, she has something to look forward to, she thinks. Bill comes in there, too, and again, they, they love their employees. He's trying to help her out. He's like, hey, I know I have a friend who works at this other store who could use a new cashier. Do you want me to talk to him and get you in there so that you have a job after this? And she's like, yes, please, you know. So, he's looking out for her 
again, there's a guy named Bub who's kind of the stoner. We never see him <laughs> getting stoned, but he's definitely just the way he talks. He has that vibe. He definitely has a very shaggy vibe. And he says that he used to be friends with Craig years ago, but there was some sort of altercation where Bub's brother had to knock Craig out with a blender because Craig was like, it was causing a fight and was going to beat up Bub or something. So his brother had to, yeah, with a blender, which such it's an odd little detail. I think again, probably a tongue-in-cheek detail. It feels like you hit, you beat him up with a blender. Like why? And then she asks what brand of blender, and he tells. It, so it's yeah, it's just interjecting a little kind of humorous conversation. None of this Bub being friends with Craig things really comes to, any, comes to anything later on. But the cops show up finally. Some real bumbling local townie cop type characters. Kind of a Don Knotts vibe. Yeah, one who's probably way too old to still be a cop. <laughs> he tries to give him, he's like, oh, take my card. Oh, that's not my card. It's got some other, like, <laughs> coupon or something. So it's it's like, what movie am I watching? Are we going to get to killing soon? Because now there's these weird Keystone cops have arrived. And, like, and they also, they don't turn on the siren to come to the store because their arrival is silent. Because it's kind of a, like, they're standing around talking, and then it's like, boom, 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 banging on the door. And, like, oh, who's that? Oh, it's the cops. Whew, okay. Which they took their sweet-ass time. They did. But when they leave the store, they turn their siren on to leave. So it's like, you did this backwards, my friend. I'm guessing they've been on the job for far too long. Yeah, I guess it's a late night for everybody. And now, you know Craig is outside. And you don't suspect it. You know he's outside because he keeps calling on the payphone. And staring through the windows. Why are you letting Linda go outside by herself? Granted, it's Jennifer he's after. But he's shown that he's not afraid to shove other people around. Because Linda goes out to her car to put some stuff. I guess she's bought herself some groceries before she goes home. She's going to put them in her trunk. And she winds up getting killed by somebody out there. But I just, why would you ever let her go out by herself? Send one of the guys with her. Send some. Everyone should be paired up. <laughs> you know, like Clue searching the house. Nobody should be by themselves. Ah, uh, but splitting up can be the kiss of death. I mean, it wouldn't be a horror movie if everybody wasn't isolated and <laughs> able to be picked off one by one. But that's just, I don't know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't let anybody. I don't know. I, two things. I wouldn't let a guy go outside by himself either. Like, just everybody team up. You know. Yeah. Although, uh, poor Linda. You know, if you're uh, if your name is Linda in a Sam Raimi film, even if he's not directing, well gonna have the worst luck yeah that's true didn't think of that so i gotta say first kill what is kind of the weakest of the film in my opinion well because you know, it cuts to it's a kind of another tongue chung chung and cheek tongue and cheek thing where we see the knife come up and we don't see her get hit and then it cuts to ted Raimi cutting a watermelon in half i mean fair joke and just you know yeah you know just you know ring on the gore at least but we don't yeah we don't actually see linda die and you'd be forgiven if you would wonder okay did she even get killed we don't know yet but yeah it's an argument the reveal was cool i gotta say yeah there's an argument going on up in the office between danny and bill because bill's like you know i love this store it's all i have i love these kids i can't believe you're selling this out from under me you didn't give me much of a choice and danny's like look it is what it is just sign the Sign the thing you need to sign so that we can get this over with. And when Danny, I'm always getting mixed up. When Bill storms out, there, there's like this friendship photo of them on the wall. That's like the two of them in happier days, like with their arm around each other. Like, hey, we're in our store. And it falls off the wall, which is like. <laughs> nice crack. 
very like you're really putting your symbolism right right out on front street yeah so um kind of shows what he thought of their friendship considering he threw it in the trash yeah he does then throw that picture in the trash. <laughs> well i have a feeling also that danny it's not even so much that danny is like some kind of mean boss or an asshole like he's just doing what he needs to do but i i think he's over it he's over the business and he's over bill who because bill's a character and bill is way too invested emotionally and mentally in this store and he's probably tired of hearing about it you know he's like look i i hate to lose bill as a friend but i'm doing what i gotta do and here's we get another cool camera thing where billy is sort of in the hall some back hallway of the store then there's a big door that leads outside and he sort of hears something so he goes over to look and the camera as we're looking at billy in the hallway starts rotating that was like what is going on and then you realize because then it cuts to the door and you see the doorknob turning you realize that we're having doorknob point of view that's just that's neat as if the camera was mounted on the doorknob and as the doorknob is turning the camera is turning and it's such a cool it's very cool and again but it's also disorienting in a good way where you're like why i don't i don't understand why the camera is moving like this right now and then you do realize and you're like oh shit that's pretty clever it's one of my favorite shots of the film, just, you know, the disorientation of it all. So Billy goes outside to investigate, and sure enough, Craig is out there. They get in a bit of a scuffle and a fight, and Billy takes a hammer to the head. Like, him and Craig are sort of scuffling, and, well, he had the hammer and he drops it. Craig picks it up and rocks him in the side of the head with it, and Billy falls into a bunch of boxes, and then we cut away. So we don't know how that fight ended. Then we get, again, there's like a through, through a bottle cam shot of there's like a bottle of liquor on danny's desk it's like a green glass bottle and we're looking through that as if the camera were inside of it yeah at danny so it's constantly every chance it gets it's using the environment to pick these cool point of view shots and these cool camera angles and things that you just don't i haven't seen in other things it's pretty neat it's it's certainly it's certainly a way to uh make uh, intruders stand out from a lot of other slasher films yeah that's another reason i can't believe that it's not a higher profile movie that I've heard of and seen before and hear people talk about all the time. It's just, it's nuts to me. Here's Danny is killed. Someone sneaks into the office behind him and there's one of those paper spikes where like you're done with this piece of paper and you stab it down on this piece of paper to keep everything like yeah. old receipts and things. And he gets forced face first down or eyeball first down onto this spike <laughs> and blood's running off the desk onto the light bulb. So it turns the whole room red, which is cool. Yeah. Um, it's a nifty, it's a nifty kill. It is. It's pretty well done. A lot of the gore, one in particular, and we'll get to it, is almost astounding gore effect. But a lot of the gore effects are pretty good. Some of them a little silly, but most of them are pretty good. All courtesy of KNB. Yep. Which uh, consists of uh, Robert Kurtzman, Howard Berger, Greg Nicotero. Yes, this is before his, he got, uh, he went up with uh, The Walking Dead and The Creepshow TV Show. But he has done a lot of prolific work over the years. Oh, yeah. I had last week's episode, Nightwish. Nicotero was the special effects guy on that, which is one of the only things worth watching about that movie was the effects were pretty good. Yeah. Even on the uh, worst films, you know, they never let you down. Two Nicoteros in a row. And I should know the same year Intruder came out was Halloween 5, and they worked on that. 5 was 89. Wow. Yeah. Why did I feel feel like 4 and 5 were like... 91, 92, 93, maybe not. Huh. Uh, 4 was 88 and 5 was 89, but I understand the confusion considering the uh, Halloween 5 was basically rushed 
Well, it's but, probably, it's, uh, that's probably when I watched them. And so it's stuck in my head as like, it would have been 1990. It's an interesting story. My relationship with Halloween is very interesting. Now, let me digress for a minute and tell a story of horror movie fandom. When we moved, my family moved from Kansas City, Missouri to Fargo, North Dakota in, yeah, 89 or 90. And we stayed, uh, my dad's new job was paying for us to stay in a hotel for a month while we looked for a house. And so my parents and little siblings were in one room. And me and my brother Chris, frequent guest of the show, had our own sort of adjoining room. Which was heaven for us because we never had cable TV in our lives. We weren't allowed R-rated movies in our lives. So once our parents went to sleep, shit went down. We had HBO. We had all kinds of stuff. (laughs) And so one night in that hotel, the nice hotel, I remember we watched Halloween four and five back to back had never seen yeah. halloween one or two so we had to sort of fill in our own gaps yeah as far as okay what happened before but what's fun is at the end of five has that cliffhanger with the man in black boots has come in and freed michael myers from jail and based solely on the information we have gathered from these two movies that we just watched chris and i came up with and worked on it for days like, okay, what's going to happen in the next movie? And we came up with this whole plot of what is Halloween 6 going to be. And what we came up with was a thousand times better than what actual Halloween 6 was. I so... believe it. I believe it, Dusty. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess, yeah, that was 89. So I guess 4 and 5, four and five would have been out anyway. That's a digression, yeah. but... Well, it's a story for another time. Yeah, a fun little story about my childhood. <laughs> There's a up through... Up through a bucket of water can shot where Jenny is like cleaning the tills or whatever and she's dunking a like a towel into a bucket of water, but the camera's inside the bucket of water looking up through the water at her. Which is another like the man, you put some thought into this. You really thought, I'm gonna make this look like something and not just be here's where some of the tongue in cheek stuff starts to fall apart for me, because it stretches credulity a little bit. <laughs> because we see Ted Raimi or maybe it's Sam Raimi. Ted was next. Well, there's the eyeball. There's a jar of olives that he reaches into to grab one to eat. And in that jar of olives is revealed to be a human eyeball. Now, yeah. I don't understand, the other than shock value for the audience, the purpose of this. What oh, is, yeah, that was Sam in that scene, yes. What is the killer's... So he took one of Danny's eyes, presumably Danny. I guess it could be Linda's, but no, it would have to be Danny's. He took Danny's eye that was plucked out in the office took the time to travel to the produce department, hide it in a jar of olives, and then leave it for what possible purpose? I guess he was hoping Randy would eat one. I guess. I mean, I guess if you know, oh, this guy stands around and eats olives all the time, I'm going to fuck with him by putting an eye, but he doesn't notice it's there, so kind of wasted your effort. But there's a lot of, like, how is this person who should be covered in blood and is not moving all over this store hither and yon, and not being seen by anyone, not being, I don't know. It's one of those slasher movie things that if you think too it's, hard about it, <laughs> it all yeah, falls apart. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is Ted Raimi that dies next. He's just eating watermelon. He's just cutting open watermelons and eating it like he runs the place. And listening to his music without even knowing what's going on. He was even told that he lost his job and he didn't even listen. Yeah, that he has no clue what's happened because he's had headphones on all night and there's a part where, yeah, I think it's Dave or Bub, somebody sticks their head in the room and goes, 
hey, you lost your job, and leaves, and he didn't even hear it because he has his headphones on. Headphones will get you every time, man. Leave, <laughs> leave one out. you got to be able to hear what's happening around you. Good life otherwise, advice. Otherwise, they're also the kiss of death. And he gets a big old knife just, well, because he, his knife, he's very carelessly cutting this watermelon. Like, the speed yeah. and angles at which he's cutting this watermelon look very dangerous to me but there's Jeez, a lot of that's that's an accident waiting to happen yeah he should have cut his own hand off by accident but yeah so it's timed pretty well with him bringing his own big knife up and down and then whoop, a knife comes from behind into the back of his head and there's a sign on the wall that says knives are sharp be careful which is <laughs> that tongue in cheek. that's pretty um yeah so he's dead Dave and Bub are out working on the floor. Dave is having trouble getting boxes open, and he calls over to the next aisle to Bub. He's like, hey, give me your cutter. Mine's broken. Along with this gag that I kind of do like, just Bub keeps pushing the um, boxes over him, and he just has to he has to go pick it up again and again. Yeah, he keeps making a mess for him from the other side of the aisle. But he throws <laughs> he throws the box cutter over and didn't close it first, so it's like Jesus, man! Like, be careful! You're throwing this. You're throwing a box cutter to me with the blade out. Put a pin on that too. Yes, put a pin on that too. Tim, who I guess we haven't said too much about, but he was the guy who scared Linda earlier. He's yeah. in the. He's hanging out in the beer cooler drinking beer. I guess it's it's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. So we're you know we're gonna eat all the well, watermelon. Takes, we're gonna drink some takes. beer, and he gets knifed in the stomach all the way through him into the stack of beer behind him so that it's like spraying everywhere with the carbonation <laughs> yeah anyway um the fizz or whatever yeah so it's foamy so there's foamy red bloody beer shooting kill. everywhere yeah it works that's a very neat kill and, and he, uh the sound effects certainly add to it yeah and then he just leaves tim's body propped up sitting there as if he's still working in the beer cooler because at one point when Bob is Bob hears something or Bob's looking I don't remember but Bob comes and looks in there he's like hey what are you doing in there are you working are you sleeping and he can see Tim now Bob gets it there's one death better than this but as someone who worked for like eight years in the grocery store I can't tell you how many times I thought about what would it be like to be killed by this box crusher really <laughs> how really <laughs> like how easy would it be to kill someone with this box? not saying I wanted to kill someone but like it's a scary piece of machinery yeah. If your mind wanders, you go, oh my god, what a nightmare it would be to be inside that thing. And this movie brought it to life for me, because the killer grabs... Is it Bub? Yeah. Because he grabs Bub through the... Bub's talking to dead Tim through the beer cooler, and he grabs him and drags him through into the back room. And, yeah, just holds, like, the top half of his head inside the box, cr box crusher and pushes the button so it comes down, and it just crushes and takes off the top half of his head. Hosty. <laughs> it's kind of gnarly. Pretty it's cool. One of the best, it's one of the best kills of the film. Yeah. And incidentally... One, uh, one better, but... Incidentally, that's uh, that's the second 1989 horror film I know where someone's head gets crushed. The other one being um, The Fly 2, where um, a security guard's oh, yeah. head gets crushed by an elevator. <laughs> In, yeah. In kind of the similar... Kind of the exact similar way, actually. Yeah. But just yeah, like I, even, I always wanted like to even see his, even the top of his head gets crushed too. So yeah, I, always, I just brain. always wanted to see a horror movie where someone gets killed by a box crusher, and it was sitting here all this time, and I didn't even know it. <laughs> well, you. <laughs> then it's Randy, Sam Raimi's turn. Yeah, because it's we're going through this pretty fast, but there's actually a lot of build up. There's a lot of 
most of the movie is kind of like nothing nothing's really happening then there's like this 20 minute period where everyone's getting picked off very quickly one by one yeah and then there's it's like, filled up and by the time we get to the final like the final girl stuff is like 20 minutes like the whole so the pacing is a little off in places but yeah we're, we're burning through people real fast here because sam raimi's next he gets hung by he's like cataloging stuff in the meat department doing inventory back in the meat freezer and this is more again what is the why would the killer take the time to do this he's looking at a rack yes, of meat and there's a hand there's somebody's we don't know whose but somebody's cut off hand is on like one of those meat trays and wrapped in plastic like it's going to be out on out on the floor for sale i kind um, of assumed that was ted ramey honestly just with the sake of that earlier pun with you know knives are sharp you know yeah it could be him could be yeah it probably who knows but though i know though i know randy's death scene was supposed to be a simple a meat hook death a meat hook stab but uh i think it was spiegel or ramey himself who suggested that uh he should be hung like a piece of meat and that's how his death ended up the way it is yeah there's definitely some irony to some of the deaths but he i just i just can't get over the, that the killer would put the eyeball on the olives then he would wrap up this hand as if it were meat product like just <laughs> taking the time to run around the store and do these little goofs on people is, <laughs> is a strange mo but um yeah he picks sam raimi up and brings him down sort of face first on this and the meat hook goes up through his chin that's the best of pretty good we're back out in the aisle dave asks for bubs's cutter again of course we know the bubs bub is dead he does not and someone throws the cutter back to him so again like the killer's playing with them like you don't have don't you have better things to do than like <laughs> i'm gonna mess with him by throwing this cutter over and i'm just uh, saying he's a sadist so you know he's just having too much fun apparently yeah and of course uh the box cutter isn't closed so <laughs> yeah, yeah so dave gets a cut on his hand because quote unquote bub threw it over with the blade out it's unprofessional so he goes to the bathroom to clean his hand off and he sees feet under the bathroom stall door and he open and opens it <laughs> which is rude and it's it's disembodied it's almost a decapitated feet but that's head specific but disembodied feet there are cut off feet in their shoes which but, but again why would the killer take the time you have <laughs> peep you have a body that you have disassembled so that you can put pieces of it all over the store like an easter egg hunt to mess with people there's a there's a hand gets put in the lobster tank like he's just <coughs> messing around and there's a really cool there's mirror pov cam in this bathroom shot it's hard to describe with words what the shot looks like <laughs> i'm trying to think of how to say it but it's a cool i mean obviously the way that they did it was there's no mirror there there's a hole like it's the oldest trick in the book there's just a hole in the wall that you're filming him through yeah and not actually a mirror there because otherwise you'd see the camera in the mirror but for 1989 or when you know it was probably filmed in 87 or 88 yeah um that's kind of it's pretty innovative i don't know yeah yeah it's um, like it like i said it has a lot of nifty shots because you're seeing yeah the camera shot is so that as if you're seeing through the eyes of the mirror on like the medicine cabinet because it's looking at the bathroom and then he swings it over so the whole camera swings with it and then you're looking at him because he's looking in the mirror is that how it goes i'm trying to remember i wrote yeah i wrote down mirror pov but i don't remember exactly what the specifics were but it was pretty impressive dave well dave is now seeing the feet and he runs them to the attic i'm not exactly sure why but maybe he's just looking for people 
and he up in the attic he finds Danny who is not dead he's missing an eye but he's and spitting out blood but he's like help me help me you know so but I'm amazed he had the strength to uh, basically crawl up there well or the killer dragged him up there which again how did you do that without being seen I guess nobody to get from the office to the attic is kind of out of sight if everybody's down on the floor but I don't know Danny but there's also yeah. the uh, moment where Dave tries to you know call for help bang through the window but of course nobody hears him yeah he's from the yeah trying to get people's attention at that little window we talked about well he yeah he looks through it the reason he's banging on it's because he sees Craig sees Craig has somehow gotten back into the store how did he get back in well last we saw him he had knocked out we assume Bill in their fight and maybe Bill hadn't shut the door that door all the way behind him so yeah. he got in that way and Bill is still laying outside presumably so you really start thinking oh well okay maybe Craig is the killer after all yeah but, but while he's, well, so he goes to run back downstairs to warn Jenny that Craig is sort of sneaking up behind her, but he gets grabbed by someone else. And um, here's where we get the best kill. Oh. The yes. bandsaw. He puts Dave down on this bandsaw and cuts through his head, like <laughs> the halfway point of his head. So like just under his nose and the start of his teeth and cuts the top half of his head off. And the... The dummy they're using, the effects, all of it looks so good, so gnarly. It's it's kind of stunning. Like it's yeah, and that it, it's one. It's it's hard to debate which one is the best kill, that or the box presser, because you know just the effects on that are wow, yeah, and so creative too. I gotta say, just insanely so. Well, because the box crusher death, it kind of it kind of cuts away at points, and it doesn't. It's not super. Like you get the gist of what's happening, and you do see the top head, top of its, top half of his head get crushed, but it's not, it's not a close up. The way the way that this bandsaw kill is just locked down from above, close up of this saw going through this man's head, and his mouth is open because he's screaming, and so when the saw goes through, it's like you can see it like push his teeth out of the way. It's so yeah. fucked up, but it's wow. beautiful. It's it's so well done and. I can't imagine watching the cut version of this because I understand the MPA just basically shredded this film to from 87 minutes to 83 minutes, and I imagine that uh, that hand saw death might might have been cut drastically, and that's a shame. Oh God, I mean, but if this is what was left behind and they allowed, I can't imagine <laughs> because this is already pretty pretty gruesome. Yeah, but so so good. Yeah, it's really just, really good. Yeah. Jenny finds, Jenny has kind of run away from Craig, and she finds Randy's body hanging on the meat hook, and then falls down that conveyor belt thing that we were talking about earlier, and lands in front of two trash cans under a sign that says half off, and it's the top half of Dave, or no, not Dave. Ted Raimi. Yes, it's the top half of Ted Raimi and the bottom half of Ted Raimi sticking out of two different trash cans. Which, uh, nice touch that his music kind of stops, just kind of just starts to die as soon as he comes in. Yeah. <laughs> but it's more, it's more staging on the kill. The killer is staging these weird little tableaus for people to find. And I just don't know. Well, really, I don't know. I, I, I don't think really he just, I think he, but. I think he took lessons from Michael Myers in that regard. Yeah, this is kind of a goofier version of that. She misses some customers who pull up, 
like some customers pull up and are kind of knocking on the door like hey you guys open well i guess they're not open and turn around and leave and she gets there just in time for them to drive off and oh so close so close oh yeah so close not her nice it's not her nice (laughs) no craig jumps out and she ko's him which good for her that's which (laughs) wow well good for her in the sense that i mean yeah i agree just that wow just it took her to just knock him out, you know, just one punch. Yeah, he has it coming, but bad for her in that she could have used his help here in a minute. Because... Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Billy returns, and he's like, oh, man, I got in a fight. It's good you knocked Craig out. I got in a fight with Craig outside, and he knocked me out, and I've been laying out there, and now I'm in. I was coming to help you with him, but thank God you took care of it yourself. Let me, I'm going to get on the phone and call the cops, because there's dead bodies everywhere? Did you notice that? I saw that. That's crazy. But he doesn't seem terribly flustered by the fact that there's dead bodies everywhere. And what gives him away is, because he sort of grabbed her hands and held her hands for a second, is that she now has blood on her hands because he had blood on his hands. And that's Especially what... from the, uh, she did earlier stab him without knowing it's Bill. Yes. When, right after she found, yeah, there was kind of a whole chase yeah. thing where he was chasing her, the killer was chasing her. It was her after she store. found Randy. Yeah, she found Randy's body hanging, and she did stab him in the hand through a, through the door that he was trying to get her, get at her at. Because she kind of did then, a she kind of did a running tour of the store to where she found everyone's body one by one as she was running away. Yeah. I feel that more than Bill's hands should be bloody. Like he should be head to toe covered in blood. I don't know. I guess uh, <laughs> I guess even the eighties uh, disaffecting wipes were uh, that effective. I guess. Unless he's that fast in the showers. So he's just pretending to be on the phone, and he sees the look dawning on her face of like, oh shit, Billy's the killer. Dun dun dun. And so he puts the <laughs> phone down and smiles, and there's a cool thing where she run, he, she's running to the front doors, and he's running, leaping from checkout, like the conveyor belts, you know, for the checkout lanes. Yeah. Jumping yeah, from each one as he chases that's her. Impressive. It looks really cool, the way that yeah, it's... it's... I have to imagine, uh, concerning the budgets, uh, he had to have done that himself, which, again, that's impressive he did that. Well, the way it's shot, we don't see his face, so it could be, because there's for sure a stuntman later when he's pushing the phone booth over, there's a shot that it's that is definitely not that old man pushing that phone booth over. True, but, true. Point taken. But it's just a cool, as far as, like, just the way that the he moves, the way the killer moves, the way he leaps from, yeah. it's a very predatory and very, like, yeah. Almost supernatural, but it's not. But it looks yeah. it looks cool. Yeah, and he sort of catches her and they're having he give, he tells her his the motive. And his motive to me I don't know, it doesn't work. Like I I love this. I mean to be fair on this, it was foreshadowed because he did that little uh shout that little shout of his earlier when he was he was explaining the store was closing and, you know, like he mentioned that, you know, it wasn't voluntarily and that's what he shouted about. Yeah, but he's he's so upset because he's put so much of his himself and his life over the years into this store. The fact that it's being sold out from under him. His plan was to just kill Danny so that this sale would fall through. But then, because he didn't want anyone to find out that he killed Danny, he starts killing everyone else. Which is maybe, I don't know, for me that's a little like, you could have stopped at Danny and come up with some kind of excuse. Because now you're going to have to come up with an excuse for a store full of bodies. So I don't know. I don't think he thought this through very well. But he's a secret. He's a secret maniac. You know. So who knows? Like I, I can I can only assume that you know just uh, that sale made his head snap and just everything he did made sense to him, despite the logistics of you know 
everything. So she's running and hiding. There's a and it's not it's not a great hiding place. She sort of moves kind of a rack or like a display and like gets behind it and then moves it back into place. Oh, I kind of want to mention this. Like Jenny actually hits Bill with a bottle, but it doesn't break. It was a uh, it was like a uh, what kind of bottle was it? It was a green one, but basically it doesn't crack, but it's a plastic bottle. And I'm just kind of reminded of that one moment from 22 Jump Street where um, <laughs> where Jonah Hill tries to hit Jillian Bell with a plastic bottle and just doesn't work. Well, it doesn't break when she hits. It, it does shatter when it falls on the floor, but it doesn't break when she hits him with it. Now that I think about it, there's also that one moment where she tries to escape with the tries to escape by trying to hit the store doors with a fire extinguisher, and that fails. You think it would break, but no, it just like is that you used to work in the you used to work in grocery stores. Is that I mean, do they I, break easily? Or I no? never saw a sliding glass door to grocery store break, but I'm I'm betting if I tried real hard, I could break one with a giant fire extinguisher. <laughs> but I'm probably a little stronger than Jenny. I don't know. But also, they are filming in a real grocery store, and they can't be breaking the doors. So. Yeah. But um, I guess Spiegel had to take advantage of that for the sake of, like, a dark joke, maybe. Yeah, but her hiding place isn't great, because it's a hiding... Any hiding place that you can't escape from yourself is a bad hiding place, because yeah. then you're stuck. And there's a cool... Another cool shot of when he's looking for her and he stops sort of in front of these glass bottles and we're seeing his reflection in the bottle, but it has a very funhouse mirror effect. So every time he turns his head, his, his reflection like warps into like to where it's filling the whole yeah. bottle and it's like stretched out and long. And then he looks back the other way and it turned like, it's like another cool bit of business camera wise. I really would love to know the, um, I would really love to read an interview with this cinematographer and just, I would love to at least ask him about these shots, like these specific shots, because these are quite very inventive. Inventive is, yeah, that's a good word. So he finds her partially because he could see her shadow on the ceiling because there's some sort of light shining. So he can yeah. see that she's behind this thing. But also there's blood from some wound that she has that is trickling out from underneath and he sees that. So he comes yeah. through this thing at her she gets away again runs the front door there's a bread delivery guy there and now bill is just outside and kills the bread man <laughs> i don't know how he got outside so fast i, don't I can know. assume he uh he was able to teleport like jason and uh jason takes manhattan yeah or maybe it's like he knows this store so well that he knows exactly when the bread guy is gonna get there and he's been waiting he's like Shit, two minutes till bread guy. Oh, 30 seconds to bread guy. I gotta go. And he runs outside to kill the bread guy. You know what? That's not too far off. I can, you know, given his, his obsession with this store, that, uh, yeah, I can believe that. But why go outside at all? Like, the bread guy can't get in, and she can't get out. So... Like I, well, like I said, it just makes sense to him, you know, but it only makes sense to him, and only him. I suppose the bread guy could see, even if he can't help Jenny she could yell to him through the door about what's happening and he might run and get help or something, so. I mean, no witnesses is another reason, so, no, you know, yeah. might as well. That's true. This, this last 20 minutes, for me, kind of drags, because, like, once we're, like, okay, we're at the final girl, now we know who the killer is, there should maybe be, like, eight minutes of this movie left, but it's 20 minutes, and it's a lot of her running around and him almost catching her and then killing the break. Like, it just feels like, I don't know, it could have moved a little quicker. And then we have, so earlier on in the movie when they were taking like their lunch break or whatever, Bill told this crazy story about something he saw a long time ago about this guy. And th this is a callback to that. 
where he's got, he's made like a puppet out of Danny's head. Which again, when did you have time to go back upstairs? Oh no, Danny gets downstairs and he drags him away and cuts yeah. his head off. He's got Danny's decapitated head and he's talking with it like a puppet. <laughs> Which, um, it looked real. It looked like the actor at first, but then you have the uh, dummy head. Wow, I mean, there's only, the budget only goes so far and you blew it all yeah. on that bandsaw kill. Yeah. Cause that was I mean, really... true. True. It's just, it's just one of those things I couldn't help but notice. Yeah. But he does a callback to this thing. And where did he get this burger now? I don't know, man. He told this story earlier about, I don't even remember what the details of that story were, but it's, the punchline of the story is, here comes Parker. He's got this guy's head in one hand, and he's eating his burger with the other, and he's walking down the road. So it's a callback to that, because now he's got Danny's head that he's swinging around, and he's got a burger in the other hand that he's just eating. I don't know where he got this burger from. But I, but apparently it's, um, it's actually an actual story from... Uh... Raising Arizona, like used in that movie, at least, because uh, oh, that's shit. the other thing about that's the other thing. Sam Raimi used to know. Actually, he was roommates with the Cohen brothers. That's true. So it must have been some story that they knew in their. Wow, that's crazy. I totally forgot about that. Interesting. And I'm guessing they. I'm guessing they traded stories. Um, while they were working on this and Raising Arizona, hmm. which that would make sense. That's true. Craig wakes up just in time to try to protect Jenny from Bill. And Bill beats Craig with this decapitated head, which is kind of hilarious. <laughs> I should note that Craig kind of stupidly says out loud enough for Bill to hear what Craig was doing, what's he, what his plan for escape is, and just, you know. And Bill manages to hear this enough to just come in raging and just hit the guy, which... um kind of a bad idea to do if he's still on the loose yeah instead of just grabbing jenny and being like let's go he's walking with her down the aisle like well, here's what we're gonna do we're gonna go <laughs> but he directs her to like this is the door i came in through that goes out to the parking lot the, the where we had the doorknob pov earlier so she gets to that she gets outside she goes to get in her car well she goes to get in the car and it's locked so she goes to the next car and when the door opens linda's body falls out so now we do know for sure that linda's dead yeah. Now somehow, and Billy is under it. So this guy, he has Jason Voorhees teleporting powers, I swear to God. Because he's suddenly <laughs> under the car, grabs her, is pulling her, pulls her all the way under the car, but she grabs the knife that was left in Linda. She grabs, so when she comes out from under the car, stabs Bill. And it's kind of funny. He goes, where'd you get that knife from? <laughs> like he forgot he left the knife there and you're not supposed to have a knife. I'm supposed to have a knife. Why do you have a knife? I just love the gag where he just, then he just plops the floor and the knife just jumps and then lands next to his face. That was a cool effect. Yeah. That was so funny. So she runs to the phone booth to try to call the cops again. Oh, and uh, side notes. That scene where he's dragging Jenny from the car, that's the music I heard from SpongeBob. Like, you know that uh, episode where uh, SpongeBob turns into a snail and kind of terrorizes Squidward? That's the music. That's the music I heard it from. It's public domain music. And it's kind of weird because the credits say music by Basil Pulsa. You know, every credit lists the composer as Basil Pulsa. He's the guy who did the Robocop theme. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I'm curious if how much music did he do for this? Because... I have no idea because I have no idea they were using this much public domain music. Yeah, or for some reason the people who made SpongeBob liked this music and decided to use it. 
You never know with public domain music because it's crazy. Because you think of like the "It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia" music, the theme song at the you know during the opening credits, you hear a hundred other places. Yeah, it's not just, it's just the theme from that show. Yeah, you know, it's just it's one of those things I can't help but notice and feels, I guess, jarring, but not necessarily using it as a detracting kind of way. Just you know, just again goes back to that brain thing. How how it can be weird. Yeah, it's like once you once you realize what the Wilhelm scream is, every time you hear it, you're like, oh, Wilhelm scream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly that. Yeah, so she's in the phone booth. Bill comes over and starts pushing it, tips it over, and is climbing in there with her. And then Craig reappears, goes to town on Bill with this cleaver. Like, just... Which I guess thing payback for earlier. And he whacks him so many times. Didn't get the job done, though, because he's not dead. You would think... Like, he hardly even looks hurt, really, for how many times he got hit with this cleaver. But... He has huge stamina for some, somehow. Yeah, for this little Weasley-looking dude. The cops finally arrive. Not the bumbling cops from before. These are new cops, one of whom is Bruce Campbell. Wouldn't be a Sam Raimi-adjacent joint without a Bruce Campbell cameo. And the other one's Lawrence Bender. Yeah, he cameos in this, too. That's the other Oh, guy. it is. And, and this is pretty cool. And I think it's what... I kind of feel like it's what should happen at the end of more horror movies. The cops pull up and arrest, of course, Jenny and Craig. Because they just pulled up and they saw Craig going at Bill with this cleaver. And Bruce Campbell runs into the story. He's like, oh my god, there's bodies all over in there. These two are maniacs. And, so the, and, and because they have left somehow, left Billy alive, he's like, they did it. They killed everybody. And so the cops arrest Jenny and Craig and take... That's, I mean, that's where the movie ends. We don't see them getting hauled off or anything, but like they're getting handcuffed and put, and he's going to get away with it, and they're going to take the blame for it, which is a. Although Jenny does scream at seeing Bill open his eyes, which yeah. I kind of interpret that as like Bill just lunges at everyone anyway. Maybe, yeah, I don't know. But then why even bother telling the cops it was them? Like if you're gonna, if you're just gonna kill them and the cops anyway, don't even say anything. Just I feel like he's going to use them as the scapegoat, and now he's. Not only does he get to keep the grocery store, he's now the famous grocery store where a bunch of people got massacred, and that's going to be a boon to business, maybe? Well, well, like I said, it's everything that, you know, every logic pointed out to him, it's the opposite makes sense to him. That, that's just, that part makes sense to me. Just, Blaming it on them and, like, using the notoriety from it to, like, boost yes. the grocery store. Although I do know uh, Spiegel wanted it to end uh, with Jenny screaming, but the camera goes down her throat and into her heart and just beats, 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 and then stops. Like, kind of a wild effect, but I'm guessing, um, but uh, no doubt the, there was nothing in the budget to do that shot. Yeah, budget or time, but it would have been very much in line with the sort of innovative camera shots and stuff yeah. that they do in here. I like it being a little more open-ended. I like it being, I like, I like the idea that the cops show up and arrest the victims instead of the killer, and the killer gets away with it. You don't see that. Oh, so. well, that's the cops for you. <laughs> yeah, Bruce Campbell, you should be a better cop than that. You're Bruce Campbell. I mean, he was a maniac cop. Well, but I mean, but they're going off the information they have, which is, <laughs> we just saw this guy attacking this other guy with the cleaver, so what would you think, of course? I don't know. And that's the end of the movie. Pretty cool ending. Pretty cool movie. Yeah. I, I quite love it. Um, it's, uh, it's actually, I consider it one of the best slasher films that aren't, like, you know, the, um, the big three. Of the 80s you know halloween yeah right 13 nightmare on the street you know like this is legit really really great stuff 
Yeah, for it's, me, um, some of the tongue, visually, it's very, very interesting. Um, yeah. Some of the tongue-in-cheek stuff, like I said, is, is a, slightly a bridge too far for me, tone-wise. But some of it works, and it's just, I think, I wonder if this movie's sort of reputation and fame has suffered by the fact that it's a one-off that there's it's not part of a franchise there was no sequels you know what i, I mean? think and so maybe, it kind of got forgotten a little easier i think maybe because it was direct to video it didn't exactly have a good chance because this was like i'm not sure if i like there's i don't think i can't find any theater information about it so um i just assumed that you know paramount released it direct to video yeah, that could be, or it might have had just a small little sort of limited theatrical which, run. Which I can believe, you know, because even some uh, horror movies that would get direct to video releases, they would have they would have to complete um, certain obligations of excuse me of releasing a film in a certain amount of theaters, no matter the area. Like uh, like uh, I think you told me, Night of the Demons two, for example, got released in like a California theater, and that was practically it. Yeah, there's lots of movies that'll just play in New York and L.A. and that's and never not really anywhere else because especially like I know that's an Oscar thing too, where like to be eligible for the Oscars you have to have played in movies, you know, which is why a lot of the because movies that are like Netflix exclusives and stuff can win Oscars, but they have to have like you have to have showed The Irishman in theaters somewhere, you know, to be eligible. So. Though there's always the, there's always the odd location like ticks i know i think i read that uh, ticks was released in like a mass a maryland theater only and that's kind of surprising yeah i think there's i think there's probably been some movies that like only showed at the alamo draft house yeah because they were you know that happens yeah, yeah. um and it's it's a shame because intruder is really really inventive stuff and you know it's it's a great premise and personally i think scott spiegel did it really really well i agree I agree. And it's better on the second viewing, even. Like, this is my second time watching it. And, uh, you know, and it actually ended really... Like, I liked it before the first time, but I really dug it the second time. It's just one of those movies where, you know, it gets better every every rewatch. Yeah, I definitely enjoyed it. I was definitely surprised that it's not a bigger, more talked about movie. Which, again, it's a shame because, you know, it's it really deserves, you know, a lot of attention. Like I only found out about it because you know I search, I search and scour horror movie sites, and you know I'm a big sucker for slasher films, the '80s ones especially. Well, it's that time of the episode. Time to push the magic button. See we what. Morality, turn, turn, turn. Show us the lesson we should learn. Yes, to decide, <laughs> to see what uh, movie chosen completely at random from everything streaming will be my movie for next week's episode. Pushing the button now. Next week's movie is... Oh, Lord. <laughs> from, oh, God. From, from, from Tell two, me. From 2007, this has to be a sci-fi original movie by the name alone. Ice Spiders. Oh, dude. Yes, it is. Yes, it is, my friend. Ice Spiders. Yes. It is on Amazon Prime Video and Tubi, of course. Yeah, that has to be a sci-fi original movie. I'd bet. No, it is. For sure. I've heard of it. And I do know it's directed by the dude who made The Gates. Oh, like which, The Gate uh, and The Gate 2? Yeah. Hmm. Well, maybe it won't. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, it's the same director. Maybe it won't suck then, but I'm not putting money on it. <laughs> uh, trust me. Um, yeah. Trust me. Um, you're in trouble. Yeah, well, it was bound to happen. I'm actually surprised I haven't gotten any, like, The Asylum movies. You know, The, yeah, it's in the Universe is Spring. Yeah. So... <laughs> 
Well, I think we, I have, I think Savage Planet that I had on another episode. I'm pretty sure that was a sci-fi original movie. So this wouldn't be my first one, but yeah. So that's your homework, everyone, for next week: Ice Spiders from 2007 on Prime and Tubi. <laughs> that's where I'll be next week. So thank you again, Sebastian. No problem. Well, welcome back anytime. I know. I like that. I know. I mean, you probably have a, a, a broad interest, but I know the yes. specific niche that when I pull up a movie, I go, oh, that's a Sebastian movie. <laughs> so I'm sure. It's like the bat signal for me. <laughs> yeah. So I'm sure you'll be on many more times because there's lots of movies like that. And I'm always game for them. Waiting for me. So that'll do it for this week from me and Sebastian. Goodbye, everyone. Have a good week. Take care. Excelsior. <laughs>